You will fail. So what? Everybody does. But your gym, your watch, your yoga pants, they pretend you won't. So when you miss a day, eat the pancakes. Give up on a workout? You failed? Seriously, what the hell? We're body. We've been a part of that too, but not anymore. At body, we're rejecting perfection and embracing reality. Not in a pizza Monday kind of way, in a loving your whole life kind of way. In a, this workout is fun and it's okay if I take a week off kind of way. In an, I'm eating healthy and it's okay if I indulge kind of way. In a, I like myself no matter what kind of way. Yeah, you will fail. We all will. But we're not going to let that be the end. You see that? We're already making progress. So let's keep going. We are body. Start your free trial at body.com. That's B-O-D-I dot com. Can you imagine being free again? You're free again. A songbird in a crystal sky. A dolphin in the Caribbean. A puppy exploring a big backyard. You escaped the handcuffs of the junk that held you captive. You escaped because you called 1-800-GOT-JUNK. We make junk disappear. All you have to do is point. Just aim your finger and we do the rest. It's like watching a magic show. Grab a lawn chair and watch it happen. 1-800-GOT-JUNK is a wonder to behold. Call your friends. They'll want to see it too. You point at junk. And it disappears. Put on your wings and fly. Invite us to your house. We'll only be there a few minutes. You're going to be so happy you did this. Any home or apartment, workplace, or job site. We're industrial strength magicians. All you have to do is point. Call 1-800-GOD-JUNK. Or visit 1-800-GOD-JUNK.COM. Welcome to Garden Views. Interesting conversations with interesting people who have done and or are doing interesting things. So sit back and enjoy. Welcome into Garden Views. And this episode, we're going to talk to Peter Young. He is coming to us from Montana, and he's the author of two books. His newest book is called Stop the Tall Man, Save the Tiger, and it was released just a couple of months ago. Um, And he's going to talk to us about a true story. This is his life and that he was in a cult. And as many listeners may recall, about two years ago, I did an episode with a gentleman who was in the Church of Scientology for three or four decades. And I I can't recall his name right now, but that show was one of the reasons why I created Garden Views, because there were just a a bunch of shows I didn't really feel fit on the Garden of Doom um, under that name. I mean, they're very different shows, and and Garden Views has sort of taken a life of its own since then. Um, And... uh, so uh, cults has been a, a topic that was near and dear to Garden of Doom when I was doing the show with Shah. He really wanted to cover cults a lot, and we did it a bit. Um, but I've taken, I have taken—I haven't really so much in those past two years. So I'm happy to have you on, um, Peter, and thank you for sharing your story with us. And how are you, how are you doing this evening? Jeff, I'm doing great. Thanks for, thanks for having me on. You know, I, I tell people cults maintain control through secrecy and paranoia, and I was— largely secret for two decades, silent no more. So I, I am ready to share my story. Yeah. And it is your story. And uh, folks, we, we spoke about two or three weeks ago on the phone. Um, 
And so we did a little bit in pre-production, not much, but as I recall you telling me that this was, uh, you sort of fell into it backwards. You didn't really realize you were in a cult until you were already in it. Um, so I guess maybe you should just sort of tell a bit of your biography and then you can sort of go into the, the beginnings of the town. Sure. So you know, born and raised in a Christian home in New Jersey, I was going to be the next Larry Bird. That never happened. I <laughs> played uh, college basketball at George Washington University, then got into coaching, then broadcasting, moved out west, met my future wife, Paige, in Pocatello, Idaho, was doing the six and ten local sports for the uh, ABC affiliate. And I really, you know, Jeff's probably a good way to put it, you know, kind of backed into the cult. I always tell people, you never know you are in one. You only know you were in one. Because cults all look different, right? Different shapes, sizes, colors, you name it. But they all begin and end with mind control. And I basically married into a cult. I was in love with this woman and, and, and married her and essentially went along to get along for years. And then it, you know, it basically swallowed me. Right. So... Yeah, so you had a storied basketball career. You were doing, you, you were the sports guy on the local station. And I know the, I'm just repeating what you've just said, but I think it's important for people to know that, you know, anyone can fall into this. I mean, you you know, you you were what, what youngsters today would call an alpha guy. You know, you were a jock, obviously, you know, you made it into broadcasting um, in your in your marketplace and, you know, and, and did all those things that, you know, normally you think lead to the white picket fence and, you know, and the perfect storied life. And, you know, so this, this can really happen to anyone. And I guess we're going to find out how it happened to you. That is a good point to make, Jeff. I always tell people, and listen, if people don't believe me, that's fine. I'm okay with it. But I, I do know do know deep down in my heart, it really can happen to anybody. You know, I have a college degree. Uh, Paige, my former wife, she's got two masters. Others got a master's. They both taught in college. You know, this is going back to 1996. So I was single, late 20s. And I'd seen Paige around town in Pocatello. Couldn't miss. Beautiful, tall, six-foot, blonde hair, athletic. She was gorgeous. And I was working out of the gym with a guy named Gary. I mentioned her and he said, oh, I know who that is. That's Paige Clausen. And, but be careful. The Clausens have this really weird family guru. So before I ever even met her, I heard about what was Uncle Robert. Mm-hmm. And, you know, shortly thereafter, I met Paige at a singles Bible study, fell in love right away, uh, wanted to marry her, you know, within like a week or two. But I had to meet her father and her uncle, Robert, because she talked about him all the time. And I should point out that this uncle Robert is not truly an uncle. He is from Syria. And I am, you know, you can't see me, but I'm six foot five, you know, typical Northern European looks. So was Paige and her family. Uncle Robert was like five, six, Syrian, you know, bald, olive complexion, jet black hair, didn't look anything like any of us because he was related. He had met Paige's parents at a small seminary before Paige was even born. And kind of like a parasite hooked onto the family and then you know, over time dominated the family. And it dominated our marriage, dominated our life. But the first few years, Jeff, was was not the case. Um, you know, I was head over heels in love with this woman. So I, I met her dad. There were some awkward moments. Uh, I'll tell you one of them real quick. Sure. Uh, when I first really got introduced to Uncle Robert was I just met Paige's parents in northern Idaho. I go down the hall to use the bathroom. I'm a guy, so I stand up to pee. Uh, I finish, I flush, I wash my hands, and I open the door, and there's the dad standing right there, really close. <laughs> he says, in our household, we men sit to pee because it you know, prevents splashing. 
And then he said something I heard dozens of times over the next 20 years. Uncle Robert taught us that. And Uncle Robert taught or controlled us in this little cult, but there wasn't many of us, everything. He controlled pretty much every aspect of our lives. Well, that that's a pretty personal way to, to control. I mean, maybe it isn't. I, you know, I mean, you know, maybe it gets much more personal than that. But uh, I, I can't imagine that, um, especially since uh, I don't know. I think I'll, I think I'll just stop myself right here. So okay, so you obviously got past that because you're like, hey, I, I really did this woman. So you know, if I have to pee sitting down at their home, I'm going to pee sitting down at their home. Um, it's a little bit frightening to know that they can know that, but I guess they they can hear the difference in the sound from the you know from six foot five on from you know sitting down. We probably don't need to paint a picture any clearer than that. Um, so, how, you, how do you get past that? I mean, that's like your fir- one of your first conversations with her father. I mean, where where do you go from there? Does it just get easier? Or does it just get more awkward? You know, it, it uh, was a little bit of up and down. There were some awkward moments, and that was odd. But, you know, other than that, I thought, okay, you know, they're, they're kind folks. I can look past that. Then I met Uncle Robert, quote-unquote Uncle Robert, a couple months later at Paige's older brother's wedding. And, you know, clearly very charismatic, uh, gregarious, odd, for sure. But I thought relatively harmless, which I had, you know, clearly mistaken him. You know, one thing about cults, Jeff, is that, again, they all look differently, but they almost all have, you know, a leader, usually a man, but there's a leader, and this person is charismatic, narcissistic, very gregarious, outgoing, intelligent in a way, has a grandiose sense of self, makes all the rules, but none of the rules apply to him, and then will often act as a gatekeeper to God or to whatever religion this group belongs to. And that, you know, Uncle Robert checked all the boxes, which, of course, yeah, I see it now. I didn't see it at the time. But a few years into our marriage, so again, you know, we ended up getting married, and you know, we had our first child 10 months later, um, he wasn't around as much. And I thought we had the best marriage ever. I was the best husband ever. She was the best wife ever. And we had just, our communication was wonderful. But Uncle Robert was always lurking in the background. And the first time I really got nervous and quite honestly scared was shortly after 9-11. Now, I was born and raised in New Jersey, so I had high school classmates in the buildings. I had a high school classmate widowed on 9-11. So I, you know, I had a connection to 9-11. Right. And um, about a year later, he was saying how 80,000 people died on 9-11. I always thought it was around 3,000. And then, you know, in a very dark moment, he said, Roosevelt, President Roosevelt was a Jew, and Truman was a Jew. He almost spit the word out with some vitriol. So I realized, what, three, four years of our marriage, that he was a raving anti-Semite. Which you think, okay, you know, people, it's a free country, you're allowed to be a jerk and have those beliefs. But the problem was, you know, Paige and her parents believed everything he said, unquestioning. And over the years, guess what? I asked too many questions. Right. So I would ask him about this. I'm trying to research. I'm like, okay, I'll keep an open mind. You know, really? The Jews are behind every war and recession and depression and bad event in history, which is what he thought. And of course, you know, he couldn't provide me information that would prove it. So then he started to mock me and my limited intellect, which is what cult leaders do. They confuse you. And then when you ask questions, you don't give answers. They accuse you of being dumb. Where would the, I mean, nowhere anywhere does it say any of the Roosevelts were Jewish or Truman. I mean, so uh, it would seem that the burden of the proof would be on him on that one, but I guess he had his grips into the family and the uh, their six degrees of separation at that point. 
You know, Paige, again, my former wife, um, she knew no other authority. So he was always an authority from the moment she was born, you know, with her parents. So they called him Uncle Robert, by the way, mm-hmm. because they were taught Paige and her siblings, so she's one of five, to, you know, use that as aunt or uncle to adults as a sign of respect, right? But with Uncle Robert, always just stuck. And, and they always called him that. We called him that. Years later, Paige's parents called Uncle Robert dad. They're about the same age. So she always would give him the benefit of the doubt. So in other words, it was less of a, well, boy, I'd like to see the proof of this from Uncle Robert. And it was more of a, oh, Peter, I'd like to see you prove him wrong. Right. So the burden of proof was on me mm-hmm. to prove him wrong, which of course, the moment I do that, I'm in trouble. Right. And that's, uh, and it's your marriage. So you don't want to rock that boat over trying to prove that, you know, FDR was, you know, I don't know, <laughs> Presbyterian or whatever he was, um, and, and Truman. So, all right. Um, so he's Syrian. You you met Paige in a Bible group. What what religious denomination did they think they adhered to? Yeah, good question. So I grew up in a non-denominational church, but over the years, I, I've been to a Methodist church. We used to go to a Baptist church. Currently, right now, we go to one that you would call Dutch Reformed or Christian Reformed, but I, you know, to me, I am a Christian, so I don't really get into denominations. I kind of, I'm not a big fan of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so same thing with Uncle Robert, right? So you know, he would always just call himself a Christian. So that's what we call ourselves. But I mean, more than that, Jeff, you know, we knew the quote unquote true gospel, and no one else did. So you know, we knew what was really going on in the world. We knew the threat of Judaism, et cetera, et cetera, which was not the only thing, but that was one of his planks of his, let's say, theology. And so, you know, because Uncle Robert knew all this, his life was, of course, always in danger. So therefore, there's the paranoia. So since right. he's in danger, we had to protect him. So that's the secrecy. And since he's so special and so learned, well, now we're special because we're a part of this. So we would not throw our pearls before the swine. So I didn't share a lot of this with my family, the young family, my parents, my brothers, and their wives, and nieces and nephews. And we would leave church after church after church. We were married over 20 years. And we went to a Presbyterian church in Colorado. We went to several in Idaho, non-denominational Baptists. We went to another one in Montana. And every place we went, you know, Paige would always relay, you know, what the pastor was sharing to Uncle Robert. Of course, then he would be vilified. Because Uncle Robert could not have anybody challenge him because he had morality and Christianity cornered. He knew all the answers. So you had to leave the churches because he said you had to leave the churches. The churches weren't like, oh, no, you you can't spread that here. Um, Or maybe you've never even got to that point. I I think this is why I'd like to know how... Who is we? How how many people were in this group? I mean, obviously, uh, Paige, her parents, yourself... I mean, your kids would be there because of you, um, you know, but how many other people, was it family, friends, um, the, the, the neighborhood, were there people far and wide in, in different towns and cities? Yeah, another great question is, you know, whenever I kind of dig into this, people ask a lot of the same questions, you know, and who else was there in other families? And the answer is no. It was probably at its most maybe 12 adults. So there would have been Paige's parents and then one brother, Page and, and then Page. So that, you know, they were one of five kids. The three youngest kids were shunned and vilified. They called Uncle Robert out, said, We don't think he is who he says he is. He's a fraud. So that they were shunned and vilified. We wouldn't even say their names. And this has gone back 23 years ago. And all of Page's you know, Canadian relatives, they were all shunned. So 
Again, Bates' parents, brother, her, Uncle Robert, and his wife. He married an American woman who's quite normal. He had two sons, but they never showed up to our little conferences. And then there was a brother, Michael, who was a buddy. And then my kids. That's about it. Maybe one or two other people that kind of came and went. So did he um, have, I guess I'll call them services, for lack of a better word? I mean, did, did he try to make a church where he was? Did he have meetings? I mean, how, how did he sort of maintain his control? So he did not have a church that I know of. So again, I met him over what, almost 30 years ago, and he never had a church that I know of. Um, so we would have what were called conferences. So, you know, some people would get together for coffee or a Bible study mm-hmm. or a chat. We would have conferences, of course, because everything he did had to be elevated in stature. So we would meet at her parents' house, Paige's parents' house in northern Idaho, just outside of Coeur d'Alene. And he would, because he lived in Southern California, so he would come up. You know, by the way, he never had a job. His wife was the one that had a good job. She made all the money. Okay. And uh, he would visit casinos on the way wherever he went because he felt like casinos were the true churches in America. And he called casinos his office. I kid you not. So they would often go to the office. Anyway, you know, by the way, we tithed him. So <laughs> we tithed to him and, uh, you know, he, he called casinos his office. But we would meet in Coeur d'Alene once or twice a year. And the conference was a glorified way of saying we would sit and listen to him talk for hours on end. And some of the stuff, Jeff, another point to make is that some of it was brilliant. Some of it was really good that I still agree with today, but much of it was odd. So, you know, I tell people the the wolf does not get close to the sheepfold. The wolf in sheep's clothing gets close. So nobody starts listening to somebody who starts spouting lies and nonsense right away. Another way to look at it would be, let's say if you miss hit a golf ball, Jeff, by a quarter inch, mm-hmm. 100 yards down the fairway, it's way out to the left, way out to the right. Well, Uncle Robert was teeing up the right golf ball, if we continue this analogy. He would read from the Bible, but he would give every verse his unique and perverse spin. So that 5, 10, 15 years down the road, we're way away from the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that's what would go on with these little conferences. And I would ask questions, and, and I, at first I would, I would kind of look around the room like, is do you all believe this stuff? <laughs> Which, of course, they did. I was the one who asked the questions, and of course, that got me in hot water. So what were some of the hallmarks of his doctrine? I, I guess it's probably easiest to, to start with the things that, you know, that, that one would consider, you know, mainstream or non-controversial Christian beliefs, and then where he spotted, where where he took it uh, that, that led his flock down uh, different paths. Well, in some areas, again, I, I, I would agree with him. The biggest one would be that he introduced me to the concept of preterism, which I had never heard. So in Christian circles, there's either you, know, you believe in a future, second coming, rapture, premillennial, millennial, whatever you want to call it, there is, it hasn't happened. Or preterism is where it has happened. And there's varying degrees of that as well. And I never heard of this concept. I remember he gave us a book to read. I thought, oh, I'm going to rip this book to shreds. Well, I read it and I agreed with it. So in that regard, I thought, well, you know, gee, I'm thankful for that aspect um, that he did, you know, introduce me to to an idea that I I now wholeheartedly believe. But in other areas, um, you know, it would get a little perverse with his, you know, the the, the Jewish conspiracies. To him, it would all go back to Jacob and Esau, so which are, you know, sons of Joseph, which is the Bible. And Esau becomes Edom, and God says, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. Well, then you take this, you know, 3,000 years later with all this perhaps intermarrying, et cetera, et cetera, he still feels like because Jacob stole the birthright from Esau, if you know your Bible, 
uh, the Jews are angry about it still, and they've been trying to get the birthright back, so to speak, through wars, recession, usury, Freud, Marx, etc., etc., etc. So, can we go back and, and let humor me? I don't really know which Joseph and, and the story of Jacob and Esau. Sure. So this is all the way back to Genesis in the Bible, okay? okay. And, and and again, like, he, he's right on with this, right? Like, the, you know, the, the, the birthright is getting passed down to the elder son. You know, the Lord gives Abraham all these promises, and then you got Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and uh, so these, and, and again, like Muslims and Jews and Christians all like go back to Abraham. Like we all trace our faith back to this, this, this family. So it's really important. But then Esau, you know, despises the birthright. So he, he gives it away to Jacob and then the, you know, the father, you know, blesses Jacob, but he really kind of steals in. So then Esau's angry, can't with his tears, get the birthright back. So he becomes Edom, which then becomes modern Jewry. And now of course the Jews are, um, you know, God still hates the Jews, which I, to me, that kind of extrapolating this from 3,000 years to now, mm, I'm a little suspect of that. Um, but that's where he would say that, yes, it's still to this day. That is that is what animates all of human history, is this titanic battle between greater Christendom and, and greater uh, Judaism. Okay. Is this the Joseph, the Joseph, the Technicolor Dreamcoat Joseph? Yeah, 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 yeah. With, with the dream and the... Exactly. Okay, so they're, they're, we're going that far back to, uh, you know, to, just before Egypt and all that. Okay. Oh, yeah. yeah. All right, I, I should probably know these things. But, alas, I, I come and I learn. Um, all right. Uh, I, I always wonder uh, why it is that, that people are so devout in an all-powerful God, but they don't think that God can handle his own problems. <laughs> well... <laughs> You know, it's funny because I have a little, I have a saying right here. I'm like, I'm looking off to my right and it says, good morning. This is God. You know, it's kind of tongue in cheek. This is God. I will be handling all your problems today. I will not need your help. So have a miraculous day. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I mean, yeah. I, I, anyway, uh, you know, I, I said what I said. Um, anyway, so, the, but that that's not, neither here nor there because if one is steeped in, a, in, in theology, I mean, Every religion has this. I mean, God's never done doing anything entirely himself, and you know, it's a it's a plan, or you know, it's it's because there needs to be free will, or or whatever, you know, whatever it is. So I, I you know, I'm, I'm not completely ignorant onto these concepts. Um, all right. So you said you tithed, and so there's about twelve adults uh, between. So between that and his wife in California, he's he's making enough money to go back and forth to um idaho uh how often like is this weekly no no we he would um you know some years would be three times some years might be one for the first few years of our marriage i don't remember a conference but you know he was always on the cell phones talking to either page or her parents and jeff i was probably fully brainwashed for about two and a half three years you know after the 9-11 incident and then other incidences along the way you know i really didn't want the guy around i was jealous of his a position in my wife's mind and her family. I didn't want anything to do with them. But slowly but surely over the years, I kind of got eroded and worn down and, and saw bits and pieces that I could respect until I finally got worn out and had him convince me I wasn't saved, which he did to Paige, to her parents, some of my kids, really to all of us, which is the most wicked part of this theology because at its core, at its foundation, Christianity is a free gift. You cannot save yourself. If you save yourself, you wouldn't need Jesus Christ, right? He died. He didn't need to, 
but we can't save ourselves. Okay, so all you have to do is receive this free gift, right? And the Lord even gives you the ability to receive it. So there's no Uncle Robert in the equation, or David Koresh, or Jim Jones. They're not in the Bible. So again, that is a, a turning upside down, the very fundamental part of Christianity. And yet with Uncle Robert, he constantly doubted my faith, so did Paige. And I always had to have these hurdles, like the bar for me to get saved always kept going up to where I just, there's nothing I could do. So therefore, you know, Paige thought I was a fraud. I had lied to her when we got married. I wasn't a Christian, which I was. I now realize how wicked what was done to me was. It was spiritual abuse. I was saved as a teenager. But because of all this, then, you know, that kind of gave her the carte blanche to go ahead and divorce me and leave me because I was a demonic fraud, which she called me all those things. You know, the demon, the devil, Satan, sorcerer, liar, murderer, you name it. What about and, the other men? Were, were you the only one that, that asked the questions that sort of got in this, this position? Um, uh, you're not in, so yes. yes. Um, do you think that maybe he was threatened by you? Maybe he was jealous of you a little bit. I mean, everyone else didn't seem to have these same bars. That maybe he was a little bit worried about you and 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 set the bar higher for you than others because he was worried about that that, that you might be able to tip the others over. That that you were too, uh, you know, independent. St- independent, strong, reliable, whatever whatever words. I mean, it sounds like maybe he 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 undermined you on purpose. Um, and, you know, undermine your marriage and everything. I mean, not that they couldn't do it willingly. They were already brainwashed, as you said. We can, you know, whether that's actually willingly or not, uh, that's, that was probably the wrong word, willingly. Um, but uh, it, it sounds like maybe he set the, the standards too high for you to actually get you out of the picture. Well, you ask a fascinating question because I don't know if I've ever really been asked that. Was he jealous of me? You know, he controlled all the men much more firmly than the women. So the whole cult had all, you know, already been quote unquote saved by Uncle Roberts. They had gone through him. It's kind of like, you know, if a tree falls in the forest and no one's there to hear it, it doesn't make a sound. Well, if someone becomes a Christian without Uncle Robert, has it really happened, right? So in my case, of course, none of them believed it until I finally succumbed and was quote unquote saved by him, which again happened like five times and it's an awful, awful story. But when you bring up threat Jeff, you bring up which to me is the most fascinating part of this whole story, which is the impetus for the title, Stop the Tall Man, Save the Tiger. So Paige was baptized about five or six months before I ever met her. And I remember literally in research for this book, I called the pastor, the guy that started the singles Bible study where I met Paige. And I said, when you baptize someone, do you always have them profess their faith in the Lord? He says, yeah, of course I do. Okay, so she had been baptized, professed faith publicly in Christ. And the Bible says you Confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, you say. So I, I think she's a Christian, right? A few months later, before she meets me, she has a dream. And this dream is hugely important to her. So important that she writes a long letter to Uncle Robert about it and asks for his interpretation. And he gives it in this massive 24-page letter that is so bizarre. He wrote the letter on a Wednesday, sent it on a Friday. Paige and I met for the first time in the fall of 96, that Sunday. So I know she had the dream. He wrote the letter before she met me. In the dream, she's in a house with her boyfriend, Chad, and there's a tiger loose. And if the tiger finds her, the tiger's going to kill her. Okay? But she doesn't want to kill the tiger. She just wants to know where it is, kind of keep an eye on it, keep it, keep herself safe from it. Because the tiger represents in her mind strength and honor and respect and things that she respects. So she doesn't want to kill it. Mm-hmm. The 
door of the house opens, and there comes a tall man. But she can't see the face of the tall man. And then she hides. The boyfriend disappears. She doesn't know where he went. And she's worried for the tiger because the tall man's there to kill the tiger. So in this long letter, and like most people listening now probably know exactly where this dream is headed, what really it meant. I'm six foot five. Robert Booty's like five foot six. Okay, Uncle Rob. And he had a face that Paige knew really well. But she hadn't met me yet. So I come in. She obviously doesn't know who I am. But Uncle Robert says he's the tall man. And the tiger is Paige's ego, her mind. You know, when Christ saves us, he saves us from ourselves. Okay. So therefore, since she doesn't want to kill the tiger, she's not saved. So he convinces her she's not saved. He's the tiger. Uh, he's the tall man, or is what he kind of proposes. And Paige believes it. And so then she allows herself to say, I'm not a Christian, a few months later. And he allows her to save him. Her. He allows her to, uh, him, sorry, to save her. Right. And then a year or two later, it's her father. And then after that, it's her mother. And then, you know, 15 years later, it's me. When 20 years later, when I finally found this letter again, I found the original letter. It was like finding a lost copy of the Constitution. It was amazing. And it's so obvious now. You know, in real life, I met that boyfriend, Chad, one time. I met him. At that singles Bible study, like the second week, you know, I, I meet Paige, and the next week she shows up with this guy, and it's like, oh, put a knife in my heart, right? She's got a boyfriend. But never saw him again. Just like in the dream, and just like in real life. And in the dream, she couldn't see my face because she hadn't met me. And I remember telling people, and they're like, instantly, oh, I know what that dream means. Yes, I believe the Lord was warning her about this guy who was not her savior, who was right. not helping this woman, but in fact, endangering her life. His his it's letter was now. it was a prophecy, um, yeah. But it was it was I mean aside from being twenty three pages, which there's a, a lot of room for who knows what in that. I mean you do, but I don't. But I mean it was probably a reasonable guess that a six foot tall woman would would be with a tall man. Um, <laughs> you know, so I mean, and you know, hiding the face. You know, it's, I mean, we're going back to like Stephen King archetypes of you know the, the dark man and all that. You know, you can never see the face, and of course, Stephen King archetypes come from much older archetypes. All right, so yeah, so this this he had this letter. He probably did versions of this letter for for women, you know, for years, um, and always, you know, and you know, found whatever he thought would be their most likely coupling and made them the, the villain. Maybe not that it was, I'm not sure there are variations and maybe it wasn't a tiger and because people compare notes, but. Um, well, I don't know, Jeff, I, you know, that you could be absolutely right. Like, I don't know. Right. I would be surprised if that's the case, but I wanted to try and answer the point you brought up was, you know, was I a threat? Was he jealous of me? And here's what I think, you know, Paige gets baptized and he wasn't there. So a couple pages of this letter where he was ticked that he wasn't there and didn't do the baptizing. So Paige is now independent. She's graduated with two master's degrees. She gets baptized. She starts going to church. She, you know, she's, she's about to meet me. Um, and so she's acting very independent. And Uncle Robert, you know, again, is this guy that's kind of homely looking. He doesn't have a career. He's never accomplished anything. He doesn't have any money. He's got a very small following. But Paige gives him instant cachet. She's tall, beautiful, two master's degrees. So with her doting on his every word, now he has instant credibility. Right. You take Paige away from the equation, what does he have left? 
Where there's outdoor work to be done, there's Echo Outdoor Power Equipment. Echo products deliver the reliability, quality, and performance you need to tackle everything on your outdoor to-do list. From chainsaws and string trimmers to leaf blowers and edgers, Echo's full range of pro-grade outdoor power tools are built to meet the demands of outdoor work. Visit us today, your local Echo dealer. Learn more at echo-usa.com. Echo. Power on and on. Where there's outdoor work to be done, there's Echo Outdoor Power Equipment. Echo products deliver the reliability, quality, and performance you need to tackle everything on your outdoor to-do list. From chainsaws and string trimmers to leaf blowers and edgers, Echo's full range of pro-grade outdoor power tools are built to meet the demands of outdoor work. Visit us today, your local Echo dealer. Learn more at echo-usa.com. Echo. Power on and on. So yes, this independence that Page was experiencing. He had to snuff it in the cradle and make sure it did not live any longer. And he did. That's what yeah. he did. There's, there's a few cults out there that have been made it into the, you know, the mainstream. You know, there's been docuseries on Heaven's Gate and, and The Vow and the, the Gift and a few others. But one of one of them is that the, the cult leaders often target some form of celebrity or that person that, that adds the validation. It sounds like what you're saying is that he, he picked Paige, which gave him that credibility standing there next to a statuesque, edu- educated, beautiful woman. And that would naturally attract other people to the, to the group. And I wouldn't say so much picked him, but you're on the right track. Yes. And that, you know, he has glommed onto this family, you know, by the way, the, you know, the, the daughter does grow up to be, you know, beautiful and has, you know, a presence. So boy, isn't he lucky, right? That That's, that's very, helpful to his little ministry, sure. Okay. Uh, how did he meet her parents in the first place? So they met at a very small seminary. Uh, I believe it's Mennonite. I'm not sure. In Fresno, California. Again, I think it was before Paige was even born. And, you know, Jack and uh, and Kathy, Paige's parents, were, you know, certainly ripe for a person like Uncle Robert. Uh, so you can't blame it all on Uncle Robert. I would blame about 99% of it, <laughs> their problems on Uncle Robert. So they met at the seminary. Uh, Jack had so many issues that the seminary would not give him a degree. They would not graduate him. And, and Uncle Robert's seminar thesis was on the uh, protocols of the learned elders of Zion, you know, that infamous anti-Semitic forgery on the turn of the last century. And he was saying, hey, listen, even if it's a forgery, but everything is coming true, what does it matter? So that was, you know, that was always his theology. So they met then, and Robert just kind of took over from there. Well, I mean, he copied that because he, he wrote a letter that was pretty vague and said it came true when you came into the picture. Um, <laughs> I mean, that, that, that was sort of, that was his, his map. Anyway, so at some point you you know, went from asking questions to knowing something's wrong. He, but Uncle Robert sort of, I guess, beat you to the, to the punch, so to speak, and, and got your wife to uh, file for divorce. Uh, at what point did you realize, wow, was it before, during, after you realized, I'm in a cult or I was in a cult? No, it would have been probably about a year afterwards. So again, we, we've jumped ahead of a lot, but you know, you can read the book and fill in the gaps. So we were together nearly 20 years. You know, the divorce took about three, so we were actually married about 23 years. But uh, I had never thought this was even an option. You know, when we first were married, she said, I would never agree to a divorce. I don't care what the lawyers say. I don't believe in divorce. I would never get divorced. And I remember thinking, wow, like, thank you, Lord. I'm so blessed. You know, I'll never have to worry about it. 
And then, you know, 15, 16, 17 years in, you know, it's, we're having issues. And to me, they're all about Uncle Robert. Of course, to them, it's all about me. Right. Um, so then when she finally did one day say, you know, I'm leaving, six months prior, about four months prior, she said, we're going to have a reconciliation period. You know, if we can work it out, great. If not, we'll go our separate ways. And I was terrified. I was absolutely terrified. And I still thought naively, there's no way she'll leave. And she did. And I was at that point fully brainwashed. No one in my family knew. I didn't tell my family for four months that she had left. We didn't tell the kids for about a month. And I was a wreck. I lost 30 pounds, couldn't sleep. Never suicidal, but I was, it was awful. Awful. And of course, the only person I'm talking to in this whole time, the only person I think that could actually save my marriage and reverse this destruction is Uncle Robert. Right. When in fact, he's the one guy responsible for all this other than page life. And so the irony, of course, the sick, tragic irony is that, you know, when she told me, she, you know, her parents drove down from Idaho, it was all secret. And, you know, I kind of got ambushed and they, they told me they left that day to our three youngest kids. I immediately called him. I started talking to him and, and you know, at first he was kind of surprised, you know, it really was not his doing. Uh, but then he immediately supported Paige and gave her the theological cover because there was no infidelity at all. I never wanted an affair. I, I loved her. There was no abuse or no arguing or fighting or anything along those lines. So I was a truly faithful husband for over 20 years. But then, you know, it quickly turned into, you know, well, not only is, you know, Paige leaving you, but, you know, you're still not a Christian. You know, she's right with you because you're a demonic fraud. And then it was about a year after that. So that was January 2017. It got really ugly within about a month. The parental alienation was the worst that my attorney and our counselors and our guardian light have ever seen. Page, you know, basically convinced all the kids that I was literally a devil or the devil and a liar and a murderer and an abuser and an alien. On, on, on. So when I finally told my family what was happening, I was still brainwashed. So I said, please don't lash out at Paige and Uncle Robert, just help me. And of course, they saw it right away, you know, when I would tell them about the casinos, right? And the, right. the, the, the churches, the office, and all this. They saw it right away. But I had kept it secret for them for nearly 20 years. So they became very alarmed at what was happening. Uh, with my access to the kids, we filed a parenting plan so I could see the kids. Paige and I hashed it out. And, uh, like a week or two later, she filed for divorce. I said, I don't think the marriage is irretrievably broken. And then she became so irate. I mean, you could have boiled an egg on her forehead. She was so angry at me. In front of all the kids, said, you're a devil. I hate you. I'm going to do with you. The kids are terrified of her. And then we got a guardian light involved, which is, you know, court appoints somebody in a high conflict divorce to watch out for the best interests of the kids. And she saw right away. I mean, I, when I first met her, she says, well, why are you getting divorced? You know, why do you want a divorce? And of course I almost started crying because I didn't, I was still in love with her. And then after an hour, you know, she said, uh, she saw it. It was pretty obvious. She said, has anybody ever accused you of abuse? And I said, no, of course not. Never was any. She said, well, get ready. And sure enough, you know, two months later, the garden light, garden letter report came out jaw-dropping 50-page report. The courts sent the kids back to me. Thankfully, you know, cults are abusive, so is parental alienation. And Paige started the litany of charges that I was emotionally abusive. It's been going on for five years. Oh, my goodness. So it's still going on. Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah, that's a shame. Um, so you realized that you were in a cult afterwards. I mean, do you, do you have to go through, like, how do you unwind that, like, internally? Uh, question. 
well, you know, for me, my faith is the most important thing in my life. And even all those times where I thought I wasn't saved, like maybe Uncle Robert had pointed something out, like maybe I'm missing something my whole life. Even during those moments, Jeff, I'm reading the Bible and praying to the Lord, like, please help me see it. So on one hand, it's like, well, of course I was saved. <laughs> but like, for some reason I thought I was missing something. And again, I was only brainwashed for maybe two or three years. It took me a full year to recover. My friends, my family, my faith, I would constantly be talking to people on the phone. I would call my two brothers, one in California, one in North Carolina, and I would just be sobbing on the phone every morning because mornings are always the worst. And they would talk me through it. And, you know, you'll get through it. Don't worry. You know, love you. And, and slowly but surely, then they would start to chip away. Like, wait a minute. You know, Peter, he said, what? You know, Pete said, what? And I finally like, oh, yeah. Wait a minute. That's not right. That doesn't make sense. But it's still, Jeff, it took about a year for the Lord to fully open my eyes and ears. So that way I could fight for my kids. Well, he had a good support system there, which helped because yeah. a, a year probably felt like a long, long time to you. But a year, I mean, based on what you've been through, it actually, I think it's sort of miraculous that you that you got to a, a place of uh, stasis stability in a year. So uh, congratulations on that. Um, I know it doesn't feel like it, but anyway. That, uh, so is do you think that there's any way to get through to her, her family, the other people that are involved with Uncle Robert, I mean, I assume they're still involved with Uncle Robert, or is it just it's it's too late that they're they're too far gone? I don't know is the short answer. You know, you called it a miracle, and it was Jeff. I truly truly believe in miracles. He's got him he whatever he wants, right? It's a miracle that I survived. My three youngest kids are much more healthier now. The two oldest ones, it's still a bit of work in progress. And you know, I used to pay pray for Paige every day that she would have a road to Damascus moment, right? Like, you know, where Saul becomes Paul, right? Writes half the New Testament. And it uh, hasn't happened. <laughs> it hasn't happened for her parents. I don't know if it ever will. I don't know. Uh, I don't hold out hope, but I think it would be a wonderful thing if it did happen. You know, I've written the book. Um, I would hope one day that she would read it and that it would click for her. I doubt it, but it'd be nice if it did happen. But I don't know. Yeah, that sounds tough. Um... What about you? What are you doing now? Well, I still sell real estate, you know, to pay the bills. I don't do much sports broadcasting. I do a little bit on the side here and there. You know, my broadcasting career kind of took a nosedive. I, I talked about that in the book. Uh, and then I got into real estate. So I kind of did both for a while. Now it's mostly real estate. And I write. So, you know, I've written one book. I've written the second one. Uh, the sequel to the first one, The Blue Team, which is about faith and basketball. That's first uh, first run through is with the editor when hopefully – Get that one done. We'll release it next year. And doing a lot of podcasts. So, I, you know, listen, I would love to be a full-time writer one day. It hasn't happened yet. And honestly, just trying to be a dad to three kids. Uh, that's takes by my most amount of time. And you said you've uh, found your way to a Dutch Reformed uh, church and pretty happy there. Yeah, so we live just outside of Bozeman, Montana. And so there's this area called Churchill. And, you know, there are... The Dykes, the Van Dykens, the Dykstra Houses, the Kims, and there's a, a lady there that's uh, her maiden name was Van Dyke, and she married a Van Dyken. So <laughs> we're not Dutch, but a lot of Dutch folks. It's just a wonderful community that um, I had no idea this was going on. Like when, when we were still together, Paige and I, and everything happened, they had no clue. So when they read the book, they say, oh, my God, you know, I'm so sorry. We had no idea. And I say, don't worry. Nobody did. But they have really showered me and my kids with love. And, you know, what do you need? You know, they have really welcomed us into the fold. It has been great. 
They, they, they say that the hallmarks of a cult versus, you know, uh, another religion is part of what you said is there is a leader, usually charismatic, usually male. Um, they control communication and they, and they separate you from your possessions. Now, the, the bottom two don't, don't exactly seem like they happen. So he must have been much stronger on the, on the top two. I mean, I, I heard that there was a tithe and, uh, but I mean, he was, he was only there three times a year. Um, so, uh, you know, I've always found that definition to be a little bit trite anyway. I, I think it's more one of those things, you, you know, it when you see it, <laughs> you know, kind of thing, I, I think it sort of defies a, you know, a, a bullet point test, but you know, what, what is your definition of a, of a cult? If you've tried to come up, formulate one. Sure. Um, Stephen Hassan wrote a book a long time ago called Combating Cult Mind Control. And he said, listen, you know, if you're having trouble with the word cult, call it undue mind control. And that really fit for me. Because like you said, there was no abuse. We didn't shave our heads, live in a commune. We weren't having sex with everybody. You know, we didn't go to an island. We didn't commit suicide. We drank the Kool-Aid, but we didn't commit suicide. Right. That kind of thing. It all started and ended in the mind. Now, another lady wrote a memoir about, I think last year, her name was Daniela Young, but not related. It's called Uncultured. And she grew up in a really, you know, abusive sex cult as a child overseas, came to America, escaped, and then joined the army. And then like a day or two into boot camp, she says to herself, have I just joined another cult? Right. And the point of the book was, no, there's a difference between a cult and a really strong culture. It could be abusive, could be bad, could be horrific, but it's still culture. And so I do think at times cult gets bandied about a bit too frequently. I do believe that what I went through was a cult. I do believe there are certain hallmarks, which you know, cults look all different, but there's clearly a leader and there's clearly undue mind control. And there's clearly a guy that has a grandiose sense of self. He or she makes all the rules and the rules don't apply to him or her. And then from there, it can look very different beyond that. But I think those are really the foundational pieces. I think that sounds, I think that sounds very reasonable. Um, it, it, it's tough because it, it is so hard unless you're on the inside. And sometimes when you're on the inside, I imagine it's too late. I mean, it, we all want to belong to something and we all want to have our status and our stature somewhere. But, you know, we also all want to be validated by, by something. I mean, you know, the, you can say that you, being a fan of a sports team is, is a cult, which, I mean, of course it isn't. But, you know, if you were looking from, you know, if you were from Mars and looking down and seeing, you know, a whole city of people wearing, you know, Baltimore Ravens, you know, jerseys all wearing purple and whatever, and giving their money and yelling and screaming, you know, yeah. they might think, you know, they might think differently. Um, so it, it's, you know, I, I, I don't know how you tell until somebody comes out and says, somebody needs to look at it. Who, who is that somebody on the outside that looks into it? Is there, a, without there being, you know, abuse, physical abuse or, or, rape or, or pedophilia or, or polygamy or something like that. Who is there anybody from the outside that somebody can go to for help? Well, I don't know. That is a really hard question because in, in Stephen Hassan's book, he taught, he was, he joined the movie cult. It was like in the eighties or seventies. And, um, you know, his family knew right away. It happened very quick. You know, he was in the cult for maybe a year or two and he got sucked in within like a few weeks and, you know, they separate you, they take you to camp, intense brainwashing. And I think he hurt his leg or something like that. So he, you know, he's immobile. He couldn't move, right? And like his parents took him, you know, somebody got a family member, took him to their parents' home and didn't allow him to leave. And that's what did it for him. He saw, like, it just, the kind of intense 
you know, you need to realize this. And he did. Um, for me, obviously, that's that's not what happened. I don't know if I can answer the question correctly other than I could prepare people for the signs. And to me, the biggest sign that somebody might be in something that is either a cult or not healthy is that if you have long-term relationships, whether it's your in-person or it's you know, via phone call, email, or visits, whether it's family or friend, you know, your buddy in the bowling league, whatever it is, and they all of a sudden cut off all contact with all of their friends that they've known because they meet somebody new. Now you can't contact them. You, can't, you don't even know where he is. They never show up anymore, etc. That is a huge red flag. Yeah. Tell you, when I asked about uh, the divorce, you said I skipped a lot, and obviously you can fill in the book. But is there something that we skipped ahead of that we shouldn't have? Well, you know, just to show you, uh, I'll give you two anecdotes. How you know Paige's true love? I do believe at times she loved me. You know, we were married over 20 years, we had five kids. But her true allegiance and love was really for Uncle Robert. A couple of years into our marriage, I lost my wedding band. Couldn't find it. Finally bought a new one after a few weeks. Years later, I found the original wedding band. This is, you know, maybe 10 years into our marriage. Where, you know, I'm starting to see the issue with Uncle Robert. It's not what it used to be our marriage. And I'm thrilled. I found it in an old grungy jacket. I was working on the garden. And I showed it to her. And, yeah, she was happy. But I was, you know, thrilled. This is the ring that she put on my hand the day we got married. And, oh, by the way, right about that time, Uncle Robert told Paige that he had lost his wedding ring. So she asked him, I hardly put up a fight, and sent my wedding ring to him, and he wears it. The original. A few years after that, a few years after that, Uncle Robert had two sons. And those sons got married and had daughters. They adopted sons, but they had no blood heir, no male grandson to carry on Uncle Robert's precious bloodline. So one night, Paige and I go on a date. And we had five kids, and we were planning on having a six. We're going to call him Matthew, hopefully. And she said she wanted to have another son. She had this burning desire to have another son, but it wasn't for me. She wanted to be a surrogate and have Uncle Robert's male grandson so that his precious bloodline was continued here on Earth. So she would have a son with one of his sons in vitro. Oh, yeah. And I was That's a doozy. angry. It was shocking. Yeah. Never happened, thankfully. Yeah, well, I'm glad I asked you the question to fill that in because that that's something <laughs> that that that's a big hallmark, you know. You know, when somebody else's wife or partner is being pressed into service of continuing someone else's uh, bloodline, um, you said a couple of, of anecdotes. Yeah, well, there's those two, and then there's some other ones too about you know, there's a story about. Uh, Abigail and Nabal in the Bible, and Nabal is this drunk, surly man who insults King David, and then the Lord strikes him dead with a heart attack. And Paige said that at times she felt like Abigail. So I go back and reread the story of the Bible, and when Nabal is struck dead, Nabal is drunk and surly, then Abigail marries King David. Well, it doesn't take a genius to figure out, but if Paige says, I feel like Abigail at times, Peter, because you embarrassed me, well, if she's Abigail, I'm Nabal. Well, guess who King David right. is, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's pretty obvious. And there's a lot of stories like that, you know, where I would question, uh, you know, the casinos as hotels, uh, as, as the casinos as the office. I would question, you know, the Jewish conspiracies. He had another one about America's sovereign national credit that would solve all of our problems. And, you know, he, he relayed this to Alan Greenspan. Of course, he met Alan Greenspan. And, you know, I would ask questions about it. And it like, it would not work. And he wouldn't explain it. Page got angry at me for asking too many questions. On and on. Isn't Alan Greenspan Jewish? 
Yes. <laughs> well, but see, that's part of his theology is that Alan Greenspan and so many other members of the bankers and feds are Jewish, and so therefore they are using the fed to control Christians. Right. But why, why, why would he talk to him and even think that he could, you know, get his message across if that was the you know, very epitome of the enemy? So this, this is really getting deep in the weeds now. He claimed, because I was kind of thinking the same thing, that he wanted to be able to tell Alan Greenspan, because he was such a prominent Jewish person, that, you know, you win. We recognize our little group, thanks Uncle Robert, that you now have the birthright. You know, even though us Christians, if we go back to Jacob, we stole it. The birthright is yours. Like, we're going to submit to you until us Christians can, you know, humble ourselves and effectively get it back. But, you know, you're right. You have the birthright. You know, please take it easy on us Christians. That was kind of where he was headed with it. Uh-huh. So it was, it was going to be a negotiated settlement. He was going to, <laughs> he was suing for peace and it was, was his overture. Am, am I, I mean, is the birthright we're talking about the lineage of David to Solomon to Jesus, you know, the, the, the Jews usurp that and that, that we're t- literally talking about a bloodline. Yes. And the, the really tragic part about all this, Jeff, was that, you know, again, Paige thought it was so important to protect Uncle Robert's bloodline. But when she left me, the goal all along, I think, was really to then get me out of the picture and Uncle Robert would be the dad to everybody. So that's another hallmark of a cult. Sure. If you have, let's say, grandparents, parents and kids, they all become children of the cult leaders. They all call him dad. Whether you're five years old or 50, you're going to call that guy dad. Mm-hmm. And so Paige's father started to call Uncle Robert dad. And then we called him Uncle Robert. The kids started calling either Uncle Robert or Grandpa Bob. So a few months after she left me, they started, she and Paige, sorry, uh, Uncle Robert and Paige started this, this kind of dialogue where the children needed to see me as just a friend. Like, you know, you are not a father. You're the dad, but you're not a father. You're so far beneath the father, you can't even comprehend it. Just be a friend for now and stay as far away from the kids as you can. With obviously the goal would be, oh, and then by the way, you know, don't imprison our children. That's what was told. Don't imprison our children in this biological prison. In other words, I'm only the dad as a biological factor. She called me a sperm donor and a bloodline. Well, two years prior, Uncle Robert's bloodline was precious, but now bloodline was used as a pejorative to diminish me. I mean, it was awful. Did he say that, that, did he lead people to believe that he was in the bloodline of, let me ask you, Jacob is the right line, the right lineage? Was he in, was part of what he was saying that he was a direct descendant of Jacob? Yeah, yes and no. He would say that he was a, a direct descendant of the tribe of Jacob. So, you know, you have the 12, 12 tribes and, and mm-hmm. he would always say that he was part of that. I didn't dare ask him at this point. I don't even know that. Uh, right, I just get myself in more trouble. But he was absolutely convinced that he was a tribe of, of, of uh, no, sorry, tribe of Judah, okay. tribe of Judah, and uh, maybe he was. I don't know. Yeah, well, <laughs> I mean, sure. Who knows? I mean, it's Syria. That that's that's in that area. Area. A lot of people come and gone since then, and in that period. Anyway, um, are you? Do you ever hear from anyone? Has anyone else gotten out, so to speak, or is anyone in touch with you just out of politeness, or to or to, you know? arrange visits or communications with the children or I mean is there any contact between you and and the members of the Uncle Robert group? Well there's certainly none with with Uncle Robert when the parenting plan uh, was adopted by the courts it said that they were not allowed to have any contact with him so I made sure he knew that so I haven't had any contact with him other than the email since 2018 so it's been five years 
I don't talk to Paige's parents. Paige and I very seldom talk. It's still very acrimonious. And it's sad because she too is a victim. I mean, she's a victim. Paige's parents are a victim. And he has so poisoned them with his hatred and condemnation that I'm the target of it, which is sad. Um, so I don't, we have very little communication, unfortunately, uh, which is just, it's hard on everybody. You know, the kids and just divorce is awful. Um, and I really fought it. I did not want the divorce you know, until the time it went through. I was hoping that somehow she would see the light and, and not go through with it. But she was adamant and, and still hates me with a, with a passion that's quite shocking and scary. Well, it's, it's, it's a pious passion, and that, that's the hardest one to, to break. You know, it's misplaced piety, but it's still piety. Uh, you know, it's, it's blessed by her. You know, it's sanctified by her leader in, in faith. Yeah, I, I refer to it as the same thing as self-righteous. It's a very self-righteous hatred. Um, so again, it's like, you know, when people read my book, they get really angry, at, you know, Robert and Paige. But, and, and, you know, this Paige is responsible for everything she's said and done. But again, I do truly believe that she is a victim. And she's not the same person I married. Um, I married a wonderful woman. And I haven't seen that woman in a long time. Well, I'm sorry. It sounds like you've really been through it, but it, it looks like you're coming out on the other side and, uh, we, you know, pulling for you and your kids, obviously. Um, yeah, thank you. What should I have asked you that I didn't? Oh, good question. You know, you, you asked a lot of really good ones. Uh, again, you know, the, the warning sign, I think we talked about that, how, you know, you can kind of get a good idea of how somebody might be going into their cult or something not healthy is where they cut off all their previous relationships. And, um, and then, you know, for the audience out there that, that is Christian, and this is not a Christian podcast, but you know, the, the idea that when you isolate yourself, then you become more, so much more susceptible to a false teacher, which I believe is what Ogron was. So in, in the Christian faith, it talks about the body of believers, right? The mm-hmm. body of Christ. All that is, is just a way of saying all of us put together. Well, when, you know, if you cut the toe off, what happens? The body doesn't die. The toe dies. You, know, you throw it out, right? right. <laughs> it's not going to live. The same thing. If you cut yourself off from all that, then it's, it's unhealthy. And that's exactly what happened to us. And it's, that really is the danger. You know, and again, if, if Uncle Robert or whomever is so brilliant that your friend or your relative has now isolated him or herself with, well, if they're so brilliant, what are they hiding? Usually if they're hiding, it's not brilliant. It's not beneficial. Yeah. And usually if somebody's office is a casino, it's, it's probably a sign of uh, some, something not so great <laughs> to begin with. Um, all right. Where, where can they find your books uh, and how can they otherwise follow you and support you? Sure. So my books are both on Amazon, uh, The Blue Team and Stop the Tall Man, Save the Tiger. And Stop the Tall Man, Save the Tiger was an Amazon bestseller in a couple of categories for a couple of weeks, which was nice. So you can both get them on, on Amazon. Uh, my website is authorpeteryoung.com. I also have a YouTube channel, which is Author Peter Young. I do book reviews. So I do two-minute two book reviews. I love to read and write. And uh, so I do these little two-minute videos on the books I've read. If you're thinking about read the book or if it's good or not, you can go to my uh, YouTube channel. And I've got all kinds of videos. All right. Excellent. All right. Well, thank you for sharing your story with us. Um, and I appreciate your... Uh being so frank and open and 
best of luck to you and I, I hope your book reaches a very large audience and, and more importantly I hope that uh, some of these other people snap out of it as well and you can get some sort of uh, reconciliation at least for your kids sake if nothing else. Jeff I appreciate it thanks for having me on the show and I appreciate the time. My pleasure. Anyway, haven't seen you in a while How you been have you changed your style and do you think that we've grown up differently? Don't seem the same. Seems you've lost your feel for me. So let's leave it alone. Cause we can't see eye to eye. There ain't no good guy, there ain't no bad guy There's only you and me and we just disagree There's outdoor work to be done. There's Echo Outdoor Power Equipment. Echo products deliver the reliability, quality, and performance you need to tackle everything on your outdoor to-do list. From chainsaws and string trimmers to leaf blowers and edgers, Echo's full range of pro-grade outdoor power tools are built to meet the demands of outdoor work. Visit us today, your local Echo dealer. Learn more at echo-usa.com. Echo. Power on and on.